Merry Christmas from all of us at Countdown to Eternity, a program devoted to Christ in Bible prophecy. Maybe you didn't realize it, but the Christmas story really is all about prophecy. Today, James Cadiz and Don Stewart sit down to talk about the real facts behind the first Christmas. As you'll hear in a moment, God orchestrated every detail years before the first Christmas actually took place. And the story is fascinating. Join us now for one of the most enjoyable and informative episodes of the year. Well, Merry Christmas, my dear brothers and sisters. We want to welcome you to a very special episode of Countdown to Eternity. And we are going to focus on one very important subject, and that is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. And both Don and I are unbelievably excited because we know it is that time of the year. It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. And speaking of the most wonderful time, I am with one of my most wonderful brothers, the great Don Stewart. Don, Merry Christmas to you. And how are you doing, bro? What an exciting time to be alive. Yeah, Merry Christmas, James. And Merry Christmas, everybody. What a great time to be alive. I love this week. It is, in fact, you took the words out of my mouth. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Because about 2,000 years ago, the um, greatest thing happened. God the Son became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, the babe born in Bethlehem. And it's this week we celebrate it. And so we're very excited about telling the world, happy birthday, Jesus. Amen to that. And Don, I thought that it would actually, it was your thought originally, but I have some ideas behind it. And as we talk about some of the things that happened around the time of Christmas, I think what we'll end up doing is also approaching uh, all of those issues and how they're relevant today. But isn't it true of that very first Christmas, how there were so many things that potentially did not happen the way that we see in the beautiful Thomas Kincaid cards <laughs> in some of the displays that we see outside of the houses. And I have to say for the record, I love all that stuff. I, I love the Christmas trees. I love the lights. I love the decorations. Um, I think that they're all beautiful. And, you know, everywhere you look in this world, you can find something that becomes a pagan symbol, but we're not going to allow any of those things to be icons for evil. Uh, I love the fact that it reminds me of the righteousness of the Holy One, right? And the gift that we have. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Ever since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, there was a promise made by God that someday, at some time in the future, he would send a deliverer, a savior, a messiah into the world to save the world from the predicament that we have found ourselves in from sinning against God in the very beginning. And generation after generation went by, James, and every generation hoped they'd be that generation, but it never happened. Yet it did some 2,000 years ago. Now, what's interesting is the first century world. Jesus came into the world the exact time when God made it happen. It was not by mere chance. In fact, it's very clear. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. New Living Translation says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. This was the right time. This was God's time. And there's a number of observations we can make about that time, James, about how God set the state perfectly, perfectly for the coming of the Savior into the world. 
Yeah, and this is absolutely true. I mean, even when you look at records of uh, so many of the things that were uh, very exclusive to that time period, you just look at this and you think you could, you can't make it up. I mean, it's no. remarkable. And you know, we are men that have dedicated our lives to teaching Bible prophecy, and there is so many prophetic elements mm. to what happened on that very first Christmas. So many things that were spoken of, whether it be uh, the words of Micah or Isaiah, or uh, even in the early words of the Lord directly to Adam in Genesis. Uh, so much of uh, what we see, even, even when Jacob is sitting down or Israel is sitting down with his children, and in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10 says that the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. You know, the story of Christmas is so relevant to all of that, right? And yes. um, it's amazing how so many people in the Jewish world were mourning and grieving and crying when the scepter did depart from Judah or had believed to have departed from Judah, yet in a small little town by the name of Bethlehem, Shiloh did come. And people uh, rejoice now every single year reflecting upon that. And we hope to rejoice every single day reflecting upon that. It's a very special time. It is indeed. And it's a very special world that the Lord Jesus came in, that God set up. Remember, James, it was the fullness of time. You know, people say, why did he come in the 20th century? If you remember, it'd be 50 years this next year, the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, he said, you know, why'd you come at a backward time in such a strange land? In other words, why'd you come in, uh, you know, 4 BC or 2 BC? Why did you come in the 21st century, the 20th century? Well, God had it all worked out. For one thing, James, there was a political unity when the Lord Jesus came. Rome was ruling. Remember the fourth kingdom now. This is very important. Daniel's prophecy, the fourth kingdom was there at the time. And Rome ruled differently than all the other three with absolute power with a wider area. Okay. In fact, the Mediterranean Sea was also known as the Roman Sea, and God used this political unity to, to you know, establish for his own purposes, because the order for enrollment by Caesar that we read about in Luke chapter 2 that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, without that imperial order, there'd been no reason whatsoever for Joseph to bring his pregnant wife to the place that was prophesied according to Micah 5.2, uh, because he's 80 miles away in Nazareth. However, this it's interesting. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith talking about it many, many years ago. There's this Roman ruler thinking, you know, I'll order an enrollment so I can tax all the people, thinking it's his idea, but God is just moving, as it's as we know, behind the scenes. He has to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth, 80 miles to Bethlehem. And so, first of all, the political unity, the absolute power of Rome is what brought them there. Yeah, this is uh, so remarkable. And to think about how God just perfectly orchestrated it, because the more you reflect upon the time period, you begin to think there could have been no other time period where this uh, could have happened the way it was predicted to have happened. So the Lord orchestrated it perfectly. He knew what was going to happen. And even so, you, we just, you can't help but to look at it with great awe yeah, and to recognize God's will uh, in doing all of this was accomplished perfectly. What, what think about this too, James. Remember in, in Daniel's four kingdoms, the third kingdom was the kingdom of Alexander the Great. And what did it do? It spread Hellenism or the Greek culture throughout the world. And what happened was it led to a universal language in the Roman Empire. Even though it's the Roman Empire, the language was Greek. So you could go anywhere in the Roman Empire. Now there were local languages. That's true. And some people spoke Latin, but everybody spoke Greek. So not only had a political 
unity. You had one language to communicate the entire Roman Empire to preach the good news of Christ, the gospel. So what set the stage for the spreading of the message of Christ by uniting the Roman Empire with the Greek language. And I also have to say this, and this is a thought that a lot of people don't have, but I was thinking about this recently when I was uh, considering the translation uh, known to us as a Septuagint. It's so interesting how God even orchestrated that translation to have taken place of the Hebrew Old Testament well before the time that Christ comes into the picture, right? Where people's understanding and reading of that language in terms of biblical term and precedent was also very, very well known. So to think about how people's understanding of the scriptures in that universal language was not something that just happened all of a sudden, it was something that God very carefully orchestrated in a way that would bring the perfect setting for the time that Jesus was in. I don't think that it was a coincidence that God allowed such a uh, an accurate, perfect, and very well-written translation of the Bible to be put in a language that was the commonly spoken language of the time of Christ. It's not a coincidence. No, and you're reading my notes. That's actually point number oh, three. Really? This, yeah, it is. This, this is my next point. Uh, this comes. I'm, I'm reading my eighth reasons from my book, The Life and Ministry of Jesus Christ, the background. And here's number three. The scripture was in the universal language, the Septuagint. <laughs> All parts of the Roman Empire, they not only spoke uh, Greek, they had the gospel, you know, there, the Old Testament, the Septuagint translation, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, allowed the understanding of God's word to be everywhere, would, of course, set the stage because the Old Testament Testament and the Septuagint talked about what? The coming Messiah. And so they were aware of what the scripture said because the universal language had a universal translation. Everybody read and understood Greek. And I think this is interesting because this was, uh, and what, what, in all fairness, what caused me to reflect upon this is as I'm teaching the body through the book of Hebrews, it was one of the, the nuances that I was thinking about because one of the struggles, not a struggle, but one of the things that I was contemplating pretty deeply was, and I think uh, Paul wrote Hebrews, but how in the world could Paul have done such a remarkable job communicating very Hebrew and Jewish principles, right, using the Greek language? Now, granted, the most complicated Greek we're going to find in the Bible is the book of Hebrews, but it's amazing how he was able to take um, what oftentimes has been referred to as the Hellenistic language, right, and use it in a way that so perfectly articulates Jewish principles, even through the use of metaphors and similes. And what's even more remarkable than that is the fact that Paul's background was one of that type of upbringing, uh, even though he was taught by some of the, the best uh, Bible uh, scholars of the time. It's remarkable to see that, and God perfectly orchestrated that for the time of Christ. It's amazing to think about. It's all incredible. Think about this next one, number four. World trade was a reality. James, I'm sure you realize this. There was a signpost in the marketplace in each city in the Roman Empire that gave the distance to Rome. Literally all roads led to Rome. There were great highways, easy travel, easy shipping characterized the time and allowed the good news about Jesus to travel quickly from one end of the empire to another. Yeah, that's an amazing aspect to think about. And um, this also goes to speak to the very issue of how quickly people came to know of Christ yep. um, after he was crucified, rose again, and ascended. Um, it's amazing. And then it's not a coincidence when you consider what happened on the day of Pentecost, 
when so many people gathered uh, speaking so many languages, all of the similar background as Jews, yet speaking in so many different languages, hearing the wonderful works of God being proclaimed and God being glorified in their own tongue, as though uh, they were listening to somebody who was one of their native countrymen. And that was mm -hmm. not the case in this context. And yet those people then went back to their respective regions, countries, and the gospel was spread that way. Uh, when you think about how perfectly orchestrated this was, it really is mind jarring. I mean, it's uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, some of those aspects are things we just don't think about today because we are so used to universal uh, languages uh, in in the day in which we live today. But that is as the result of a lot of technology that really we didn't have back in those days. Yet God so masterfully accomplished the same uh, purpose. Yeah, what's amazing about that, there's something like 22 languages and dialects that were used when it gives all the names of the people, where they came from, you know, in Acts chapter 2, and that's what drew them together. That's the call. In other words, they hear it in their own dialect, and everybody hears, you know, they have all speak Greek, but they all have a local language, so they, go, they all come together, and they hear these people speaking in their own dialect, then once they gathered, Peter then speaks in Greek, which everyone understood, and preached the gospel to them, which is amazing, isn't it, how that all worked out. Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's pretty remarkable and there's a lot of things that people see about the story of Christmas that maybe didn't go down the way that they thought it went down. Um uh, I don't know if that's something you want to talk about if we have time for, but that's also another interesting thing because it goes to speak of the wonder of the time and what exactly happened uh during that time. Um but, and 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 I'm sorry, go ahead, Don. No, if you want to go ahead. I've got uh, four more points, but we can we can diverge. There's not nothing well, the Bible. Let's, I think we should do that. Let's go over the four points and then we'll talk about some of these other things because we can go over those pretty quickly and yeah, some of the points I think you're going to bring up are going to be uh more significant in that I think a lot fewer people are hearing some of the things that we're talking about especially in that time. So let's let's do that. Well, piggybacking on the, on the universal language and the scriptures in the universal language, there were synagogues in the various cities where the scripture would be read, and they had the Hebrew scripture could be read and studied in various parts of the empire, and some of it had been translated, obviously, into Greek. So the people knew the promises of God that were yet to be fulfilled with the synagogues there, the promise of a coming Messiah. Now, along that line, let's move to number six. There was world peace, and this is huge. The Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, occurred in 29 B.C., after 200 years, James, of constant fighting, the war temple was closed. It further paved the way for the spreading of the gospel. Nothing stopped people from moving from one province to another. Consequently, the message could be quickly spread, and indeed, it was quickly spread. It's a pretty remarkable observation. Uh, definitely something I knew, but I just didn't think of. And uh, boy, that's pretty—I mean, you think about it. That would be a circumstance that would prevent the message from going forth if we were in the in the uh, center of a series of armed conflicts and none of that was happening at the time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for the first time in 200 years, isn't that amazing? It, it, the war temple was closed, and so they could move from one province to the next without fear. And I've heard the story. The mail system was so well done. You could get a letter from one side of the Roman Empire from the east to the west in like three days. It was so good because of the Roman roads and the efficiency that was there. The Romans were very efficient. 
Now, two other points, and we'll uh, let you uh, take over the next one. The moral degeneration, of course, was rampant. It was a time of decadence, moral decay, and that's the time revivals do take place because there's a spiritual emptiness and there was a religious inadequacy among the people because there were there were lots of religion but no 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 reality. They were Greeks were lovers of wisdom. They worshipped a number of gods with a vague hint to a chief god. Time was right for God to send His Son into the world. And the bottom line of all this, James, is God controls all things. He set the stage perfectly for the coming of the Messiah. Yeah, that's right. And even in John's introduction uh, to the audience he was writing to, which is a prominently Greek audience, uh, he makes that declaration, you know, the, that there's only one God to be worshipped, and it's the true God. So yeah, that's a, that's a great, great point. Hmm. So over to you, what you had to say now. You were gonna... um, you know, the, it seems a bit inconsequential to the overall discussion we've been having, but there are some interesting aspects of Christ's birth and the story that surrounds it that a lot of people might not be aware of. Like, I'll throw a question your way, Don. Sure. Um, were there only three wise men that came <laughs> to go visit Jesus? And maybe we can expound upon the men that did go to visit him. Yeah, no, the, the Magi, J. Vernon McGee says, probably closer to 300, because remember, all of Jerusalem was amazed when they came in. Now, it wasn't, if it was just three guys, that wouldn't have caused, you know, three guys on camels or something coming from the east to the west. That wouldn't have caused anything. But there was a contingency there, this huge group. Now, they had three different gifts there. And it's funny how you know, later in church history, in some of the manuscripts, they even Casper Balthazar and Melchior, they gave them names, you know? yeah. <laughs> but there's no, no, no evidence of that. But no, the, the wise men were probably a huge company because if it shook, the, remember, it shook the whole city when they showed up. Because here's these strangely dressed people coming from the east to the west and want to know where is the he who's born king of the Jews. And so this is why all Jerusalem was shaken with their presence. Right. And then here's a question. Um, was Jesus likely still a baby uh, laying in the manger by the time the wise men had shown up? Uh, no, actually, he was in the house, it says, you know, they where he was at. He was not in the manger anymore. And that's a whole other story about the manger where the, you know, the, the, the beginning of the house where the feeding trough was uh, for the, the animals. But no, he was in that. They came to the house where he was at, we're told, at that in uh, Matthew's gospel. And so, no, it, he was not there. This was just where he was born because the guest room, uh, which would have been there in the houses in those days, there was not room for Joseph and Mary and the family there. And so he was born there in the manger, but moved right away to a more appropriate place after his birth. Yeah. And then uh, let's talk about a manger for just a second, because the most common depiction of a manger that we see today, uh, especially here in the West, uh, and of course, we even see depictions of this manger when you buy uh, little um, recreations of it uh, in the Middle East in, in Jerusalem still show what looks like uh, sort of a little uh, holding uh, wooden structure that's got a bunch of hay in it where you kind of have the little crisscross of the legs, you know, and Jesus is laying in there very comfortably uh, wrapped up in a real beautiful kind of a bundled, uh, almost like a silk cloth. Um, how different was that from what actually happened? Well, it was it was a lot different. Remember, the manger there was was where the animals ate the feeding trough, and probably not made of wood, as far as I can tell. Number one, number two, uh, there was no there was no beautiful or garments. He was he was wrapped in strips of cloth. It says King James's swaddling clothes. In other words, it was uh, the, the his birth happened. Uh, I don't want to say not prematurely, but they arrived right when he was when he's, he's going to be bo born from Mary. She, they, she was eight months pregnant, 
And it was one of those things that just happened. So they made, it seems what happened, they made the best they could do at, at the uh, time. So explain a little bit more about what really happened or what the crash is called look like instead of the camel and the, and the donkey and all that uh, hanging around. Yeah. So it's, it's a little different than a lot of people actually think. And with respect to the manger, the only thing that we can say is we really don't know what it would have looked like, but if it was anything like what we discovered when uh, we came upon Solomon's Quarry, uh, where uh, the stables were, you can actually see these big, uh, what look like six, 700 pound boulders that are literally cut in half and then kind of hollowed out about a foot down. And this would have been the feeding trough that was used for these animals, and it's very likely Jesus would have been placed in something like that. So it would have been cold. It would have been a little nasty. Um, it wouldn't have been uh, the most dry environment that he was put in. And the whole idea of swaddling clothes uh, oftentimes was the type of material. And I know a lot of people say that it was the type of material that would be used to embalm somebody that they wrapped in. And that's more along the lines of Egyptian custom. Uh, but, uh, what a lot of these, uh, swaddling, when it talks about swaddling clothes, uh, these were strips and, and Don put it perfectly. These were strips of cloth, sometimes actually used to repair injuries on the animals. Right. And yes, of course, uh, it could be used as an embalming material. Don't get me wrong, but it was more known for something like that. You would find that along, uh, inside these, uh, caves that were called mangers because they were used to repair, uh, injuries on animals. So it is interesting to think that Jesus was uh, born under such difficult circumstances. Uh, and I think there is something very significant about that, right? Born under the most difficult of circumstances, again, a God who can relate to us, a God who understands and knows uh, what it's like to go through the basic, most basic struggles of man. And I got to tell you, as a very proud father of a newborn little boy, um, I would give my limbs to make sure that my boy was not born under those circumstances, right? I can't imagine allowing my son to be put in a circumstance like that. Yeah, and that's a very important point you brought up, James. It's not this beautiful situation where you've got all the straw here and they were waiting for him. They had this all these robes there for him, this and that. They had to make do because this is something that happened they weren't expecting, and it was something immediate there. And the cave idea is something that's very, very important too. That where he was born, the house. Some people argue it was actually there was a cave that was part of the house there. But be that as it may, it was this huge, not wooden thing, but something that was carved out of out of the rock, out of the stone where the animals would feed themselves, so it make it cold, miserable. So it set the stage for him understanding from actually day one what the human race goes through, even from the time of his birth, not to mention the fact that soon thereafter, Joseph had to take the, the Christ child Mary to Egypt because somebody, the, the Herod sent people to kill him, you know. And so because when the Magi came back in another way and didn't tell Herod, you know, the house where they found him, uh, Herod knew he was born in Bethlehem somewhere. So that's where they had to slaughter the innocent. So they had to get out of there. So from day one, and that's a great point. He, it was a difficult circumstances, and he lived a difficult life, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. Amen, Don. And uh, that leads us to a closing time. This this discussion went by so quickly. Mm. We've got about a minute left. Why don't you wrap it up for us, bro? Yeah. Again, the whole point of what we do on Countdown to Eternity can be summed up in this week. It was the fullness of time where God sent forth the Son of the world, 
born of a woman, born of the law, to live the perfect life so he could take the penalty of the sins of the world upon himself when he grew to be a man, die in our place after living a sinless life, come back from the dead the third day, and offer eternal life to anyone who will believe and trust in him. And that's what we're all about here on Countdown to Eternity. And this is our favorite time of the year because it reminds us that this actually happened. It's a historical fact that some time in the, our past that God became a human being, God the Son, so we could know him in a personal way. And uh, so the invitation is here. If you're not a believer right now, what a better time than this. There's no better time except Christ is your Savior, and Christmas means everything new to you, everything in the world. Amen and amen. And to you once again, we want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. We do sincerely hope that you enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it. And at the expense of sounding redundant, on behalf of the great Don Stewart, we want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Countdown to Eternity. And may you have a very Merry Christmas. We love you. God bless you. You're listening to Countdown to Eternity with James Cadiz and Don Stewart. Replay today's program at CountdownToEternity.com. Countdown, the number two, Eternity.com. If you'd like to review the eight points Don mentioned today from his book, The Life and Ministry of Jesus Christ, just stop by EducatingOurWorld.com. Click on Jesus Christ under Download Books. That's where you'll find this and other helpful resources. That's a free download. It would be great Christmas time reading. Again at EducatingOurWorld.com. These are exciting times to be living in. Prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. And we want to keep you informed, not only on this program, but through social media. Follow James Cadiz, Educating Our World and Countdown to Eternity on Facebook and Instagram. Then subscribe to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. We're also on Rumble at James Cadiz. Whether you're a longtime listener or new to the program, we want to hear from you, especially as this year draws to a close. We want to receive your thoughts, questions, and prayer requests. Email us through the website at countdowntoeternity.com. Countdown, the number two, eternity.com. And we'd also appreciate your support here at the end of the year. To make a year-end contribution, visit countdowntoeternity.com. Once again, Merry Christmas. Be listening each week at this time as the Countdown to Eternity continues. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Signal Hill.